0: here Um, in fact both services were almost equal in attendance so that was exciting Um, and then there's always kind of a hangover Uh, in fact uh, one of my uh, one of my twitter friends a pastor said uh, said look I know he's this was Monday after Easter Sunday he said I know that I know that Jesus died was buried and rose on the third day but I'm going to need a few more this week uh, before I can get back up and, uh, and it's true. There's a lot of emotional investment uh, from pastoral staff and from the church community. The EKG group that contributed so beautifully with uh, food uh, for folks last week, and things like that. That uh, you know, it, you get this big high, and then it's back to life as normal, right? And that's that's kind of how life is sometimes. Um, that's one of the reasons why we don't do a massively different massively like jacked up Easter service, you know, with um, I saw one yesterday of uh, a church somewhere in I think maybe the Philippines and the the minister was standing there with the altar and behind him uh, up where our screen would be, there was a giant, it looked like a a tomb made out of tin foil. Uh, It was very shiny and there was a big round rock and when he, the preacher put his hands out like this like fireworks went off on the stage and big spinner fireworks were going off and the stone rolled away and Jesus popped up out of this like launcher thing and it was cool but you know what do you do next week? Uh, That's the problem with event-oriented ministry is you always got to kind of one-up your game if not every year uh, maybe every uh, Sunday. So We try to just be who we are with a little bit of extra on Easter, and I had a great time. I hope that you did too. It was meaningful to me, and I'm glad that you're back here today. So I want to speak with you because often what happens then the Sunday after Easter is the faithful are here. And then sometimes we'll have folks visiting with us who maybe are like, I'm going to investigate this a little bit further Uh, Or, you know, this is finally on my radar and I'm going to be here. And I wanted to talk about something that should be foundational and critical to the life of every church and every believer. For most of you, it will not be something that's new and radical and, oh, wow, I never thought about that before. But I will say for probably most all of us, I'm including myself in this. It still is something I struggle with making it not just, not necessarily a priority in my life, but of really being faithful to being open to when God uh, makes a way and designs an opportunity for me to share the gospel. And I think one of the things that we, struggle with in our modern culture is knowing when it's appropriate to share the gospel. You may have seen in this last week, there was a new uh, study out, you know, they look at uh, over the years, they'll they'll continue to poll these same topics about people who identify themselves as certain <coughs> groups or who say that they are engaged in certain activities. And I don't remember the numbers, but I do know that the overall trend in the last 20 to 30 years is that not only is Is the number of people who who are attending church, like we are here, steadily declining in the United States. But right along with that is steadily declining people who identify themselves as Christians. Uh, Especially for young folks, you might be surprised to know that there was a time not that long ago, within the last 30 to 40 years, where upwards of 80% of the people in America would self-identify themselves as Christians. Now, the number of those people who were actually practicing or involved in a faith community or things like that was was significantly lower than the number of self-identified as Christians. But there's a growing segment of our population, the people around us, the people that we love, the people that we hang out with, the people that are working at the coffee shop we like to go to, uh, the grocery store, sitting in the offices where we work, those kinds of things who identify themselves as what is being called the nothings. Now, it's not because they don't mean anything. It's because they self-identify as that they don't have a specific belief about spiritual things, really, one way or the other. And there are a lot of people who find that to be kind of a hopeless thing. They're like, man, that's terrible. That's awful. But I would suggest to you this. I'd rather be uh, dealing with a circumstance where people are saying to me, I don't know than to deal with sometimes the circumstance that I deal with that people say, well, I I don't believe, I reject the idea that there's a God or that Christianity has any value to it or that Christianity is any different than any other religion or even cult around the world because there are people who think that way, right? And again, there are people that we love, people around us, people that we work with, people that we care about. They're not uh, necessarily bad people. We shouldn't look at them with a, uh, a side eye, you know? but we need to be prepared that when God does bring about an opportunity to share the gospel, whether it's with people who are diametrically opposed or rejecting what we may have to offer of what we understand about Christ or those who genuinely just don't know, that we see the opportunity, we seek the guidance of the Lord and we speak about the good news of Jesus Christ in love. And that's the place where I want to start, is where I ended last week, John 3.16. And the premise that I want to give you here, and a lot of this material is taken from uh, uh, a message that I was uh, in your place here a few months ago with a man named Jeff Yord, George. Uh, he's a, a fantastic thinker. Uh, he's had some really great experiences as a Christian leader. And I always find him to be challenging. Uh, he's uh, much, much smarter uh, than I am, has a great deal more education than I do, and, and yet he's able to bring himself to this place where he communicates these, these truths very simply and very directly, and I appreciate that from him. And the, the premise that he laid, and which is the same premise that I want to lay for you this morning, is this, that God's motivation for wanting to reach the world, God's motivation for wanting to reach you And his motivation for wanting to reach the people around you, the people that you care about, the people that you love, the people that you know, even the strangers on the street or around the world, God's motivation for wanting to reach the world is love. It's love. If you uh, go through our new members' material here, you'll find there's a place where we say, uh, What does God want? From us, and the answer is that God wants us to know that He loves us, and He wants us to love Him back. That's what God is after. Now, um, we can look at Scripture, and we can come up with some other ideas, maybe some some subtext to God's motivation, but they're not the primary. And and there there'll be people who will argue with me about this, and that's fine. Uh, I don't mind. You know, uh, God's motivation for wanting to reach the world is because he, he must be worshipped. Okay. Um, I can see how you might get that idea, that idea but, but I would counter with Scripture that says, um, if you won't worship, God's okay with that. He'll just get the rocks to do it instead. Which I always think is kind of entertaining because, you know, rocks don't have much thought going on inside that head but they're still able to worship if God commands them to do so. Yet he doesn't command us to worship, he asks us to worship. So God's not out there, he's not some sycophant who needs adulation. He's not, he's not sitting around going, man, you guys better praise me because my ego really needs to be stroked. It's not his motivation. Um, God's motivation, some might say, is that... Uh, he wants to reach the world because the world is unrighteous and it must be made righteous. It must be made clean. Okay. Uh, we're all in trouble because none of us is righteous. The Bible says, no, not one. One. And even though we can become a follower of Christ and the Bible promises us that we can be clothed with the righteousness of Christ, that still isn't our righteousness. See, we're still flawed. We're still broken. All you have to do is go through the last week of your life and just pick one time that you messed it up. I mean, I have one. Yeah, I uh, forgot the wife was in the service today. <laughs> you know what I mean, right? So even there, if I'm, a, if I'm a diligent and I try to be a diligent follower of Christ, chasing after Christ, I still mess up. So I'm still not righteous. And so if that's God's goal, if that's his motivation, everybody's off the list and, and God will be lonely when this is all finished. But I would suggest to you that the scripture tells us over and over and over again that God's love is his motivating means. We'll get to John 3, 16 here in just a moment. But for instance, I think it's 1 John that says, uh, maybe the most profound words in the Bible, God is love. It's not just that God loves you know something he does, something he expresses. Uh, not something that he likes. You know God likes love, but the very essence of his being is love. We see this echoed sometimes in the words uh, of. Well, in fact, in First John, it's echoed. He goes on to say, he says, anyone who says he he loves God but hates his brother is just a liar. So you can't can't love God. You can't say that I am a lover of God, but man, my brother, I hate that guy. These two things cannot coexist, the writer says. Jesus even goes so far as to say that the world should look on those who are followers of Christ and their love for one another should be so startling It should be so striking in the way that they care for and love and support one another that the world looks on it and goes, holy cow, those guys are different. He says, in fact, he says it, he says, by this, we're back to one thing. (laughs) Curly, city slickers. I know, know, I'm old. (laughs) This one thing, people will know that you are my disciples that you have love for one another. And the implication there is that it's a love that is extraordinarily different from the love that they see everywhere else. So that's my premise. God's motivation for reaching the world is love. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Many of us are parents in this room. My my son sits there, my firstborn. He's a man now, one of my dearest friends on the face of the planet. Would I sacrifice him for you? (laughs) Unlikely. (laughs) In this day and age, if God told me to, I'd probably want to check myself in somewhere. I mean, we have the story of Abraham, right? If I wouldn't sacrifice him for Mike, I love Mike. He's my brother. We become friends. You think I'm going to sign up for sacrificing for Joe Schmuck off the street? I mean, I'd love, look, let's, let's just be honest here. I'd love to aspire and say, look, I'm so righteous. I would, oh, oh, you know. There's a, there's a Greek word for that that I can't say in church. And you know, we're just being honest here. God knows knows he's not asking us to do that. He's asking us to sacrifice ourselves. Right? He told us to daily take up our cross and and be willing to sacrifice our lives for those around us. And that's, that's ours to deal with. And I'm comfortable with that. But here, God... So loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So that if anyone would believe in that son, they would never, ever die, but live for all of eternity. That is extraordinary love. So I have to say that if God's motivation for reaching the world is love, and I'm an apprentice of Jesus Christ, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I want to to do the works of the Father as Jesus said that he was. Jesus said, my food, the thing that sustains me, is to do the will of the Father. And if God's will, if the will of the Father is to reach the world with love, I need to get my thinking into that same vein, that my goal, my motivation for reaching the world is love. God's love. And I express that. And we've we've spoken here in different contexts. I know I've heard Pastor Jason speak about it when he's preached. He's told stories of his personal life that reflect uh, this sometimes. There are certain segments and even times in our own lives as as we were figuring out how to be followers of Christ, and we're still figuring it out, right? We're still on the journey. By the way, did you know that faith in Christ, discipleship in Christ, is not a destination? It's a lifelong journey. There's no place to arrive at. It's to get on the path and keep going. So I haven't arrived. I don't necessarily have any more insight than you do. We're just sharing things together here, and I just get the chance to do it in this format. But there are segments of, of what's called Christianity out there. There are segments in my own life of what I call Christianity that was a whole lot of, of judging people, pushing people aside and keeping people out, and, and wanting people to measure up to behavioral standards without ever really challenging their spiritual standard. And it it calls itself love, but it really isn't. And that that doesn't negate something like that we understand called tough love, right? We understand tough love. Sometimes love is hard. And make no mistake, there are plenty of places where where the Bible says, if you expect to have this sort of interaction from God, then, then you either should not be doing these kinds of things, or you should be doing these kinds of things. And it's not that God's being mean or contrary. It's just the two can't coexist. Like, you can't say that you love God and you hate your brother. They, they can't live in the same house. But what happens, the same thing we see in Scripture happens in our lives and in our Christian worldview, is that things that... That become personally important or become some sort of a tradition in our religion begins to creep into those upper levels of the way that we interact and we treat the world around us. And we make uh, litmus tests out of things that are not biblical. We make uh, rules out of things that have just become religious rules, but they're not really rooted in anything in the scripture. And the danger of that, my friends, is that when we do that, When there is potentially an opportunity to have supernatural interaction with someone around us in the name of Jesus, they've been preloaded to reject everything that we have to say because they've been subjected to legalistic, religious abuse in the name of love. I don't want to be guilty of that. I don't want to be in the position of setting up roadblocks and walls to people to hear the gospel, because there's plenty of those already that I don't need to set up more. And so we then get faced with the, the the question: if our motivation should align with God's that to reach the world, we want to reach them with love. How do we do that in a practical sense? How do we take intentional action that shows love to the people around us? And so I have just these uh, four things to share with you. If you're a note taker, these are great notes to take here. Kieran. Um, and these came from Jeff George. These are not mine. Uh, I stole them and he said I could. So there we are. But I thought they were so relevant and they were helpful to me because I wrestled with this same thing. How do I take, I talk about, you know, you've got to share your faith. Well, how do you intentionally do that? And we we set up false uh, scenarios in our head about, you know, being a street preacher or walking around with a cross on our shoulder or you have to be this guy or this person standing up here giving, you know, that if I'm not doing that, I can't really, I don't really have an opportunity to share my faith, but you really can. And I think these are so practical and so useful. So here they are. The the little acrostic is ARMS, A-R-M-S, ARMS, with a picture of love, Right? I'm going to wrap my arms around you in love. And so here's the first one, and I think this is one that traditional Christianity really struggles with. And we've got to stop it because it's limiting our ability to share the gospel with people. And it's this accept people as they are, accept people as they are. You have to be able to, to deal with people based on the level of biblical insight and understanding they have, not what you wish they had. See, if they, if they don't know anything about what the Word of God has said, how can we expect them to live by it in any way, shape, or form that makes sense? Uh, Jeff George told the story of a, of a couple that he had in his church. They, they came uh, to church. They responded to an altar call. They accepted Christ, and, they, and great things were happening. They invited Jeff over to their house, and he sat down, and they said, Listen, uh, we are having so much fun at church. This is amazing. We love what we're hearing, but we've got some questions. And he said, Shoot, give it to me. And they, he, they said, What's a testament? And 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 Jeff said he kind of scratches his head and says he says, Why you said well you talk about this Old Testament and this New Testament thing and we don't get it. What's a testament? Right? And and sometimes we're so inside baseball we don't realize there's people like that. They have nothing. I remember years ago uh, in, a, in a previous church, we were struggling over how to do church and how to reach people, how to, how to draw people in so that we could share with them the message of Christ. And one of the things that we were wrestling with was these stupid worship music wards that people had. You know, was it hymns or was it gonna be this or was it gonna be that? And it was just all dumb anyway. But I remember sitting with a man that I love very, very much sitting in the auditorium one day and he came in to gripe at me about the music And, I, and he, said, he said, we don't need to be doing that new stuff. People, look, people know those old songs. And I, I said, are you, are you telling me that you really believe there's nobody out there that's never, like, heard about Jesus? And he says, no. That next Wednesday, we were having choir practice for the Christmas musical. We, we went up, and this guy came in who had been coming to church for a few weeks. And uh, he was a little bit late. We were already two or three weeks and He said, you know, I'd really like to sing in this Christmas musical. would that be okay? And I said, you know, that'd be great. We're just, we're doing um, Christmas carols, you know, like away in a manger. Blank stare. He said, I don't know what that is. I, I said, like, um, silent night, holy night. He's like, yeah, I think, I think I've heard of that one. It's like 1995, guys, 93. Young man. And we do so much sometimes religious speak or religious behavior that we, we tell somebody, even if we're not saying the words, we're communicating to people like that, you're not part of us. You don't have a place here. When that's not our thing to determine, it's God's things to determine. We have to accept people as they are and with the level of biblical insight that they have, not what we wish they had. We have to start there. Second one are reach people where they are. This is something that we've been trying to address for the last few years. Uh, a zippy church service will not attract people to church. Um... We can, we can have the best music. We're, we're hoping to integrate some theatrical arts in here. You know, we're making use of this equipment that really has a purpose that's not about Sunday morning. Um, and that's great that we get to utilize that, but it's not about this thing. That's great. But none of this will attract people to church. In fact, if it does, and I've been in this paradigm before if you uh, what i mentioned earlier about easter if you're an event oriented or an attractional oriented church here's what happens you start at this level with whatever it is you're using to attract people and because human beings get tired of repetition in a little while you got to you got to up the game and then another little while you got to up the game because you're attractional based on external things, not on the power and the work of God and not because you built any kind of relationship, not because anybody cares about you and you care about them and that connects them to church because it's important to you. It's not based on anybody. It's just based on what they can see. And then you end up with, (laughs) some of y'all will remember, uh, you end up with, with giant muscle dudes breaking bricks over their heads and baseball bats over their legs and shouting and screaming at people about Jesus and then when that's over, what now? And then you end up with an, an aluminum foil tomb and, and pop up Jesus. Woo! And, and at some point, guys, the crazy train goes off the rails. <laughs> I was so excited last week to see people here with some of you who were just your friends. Because that means you've been reaching them where they are and now they're engaging with something that's important to you. It's, it's why we've been focusing on GraceWorks and I'm thrilled for this summer with our new park location over off of 88th, uh, uh, back in that area, Blackberry, Strawberry back in that area because man, there's just multi-unit housing everywhere. There's people. We're gonna go where they are and try to reach them and make connections. It's kind of that idea, and we'll see this. we we'll see this in a few weeks, especially if you ever drive down Brayton uh, Drive on Sunday morning. It's a huge soccer field there, and guess what? It's full. It's full of people. What if we just go where they are and then try to connect them to what we're doing? And this thing here is really, the, should be the smallest piece of what we're doing in the kingdom of God in our community. All right. Accept people as they are. Reach people where they are. M, meet needs as you find them. Just meet needs as you find them. It doesn't have to be big, grand, and wonderful. We've always been a church that tries to do that with people. We should strive to do that personally. We can't meet every need. Sometimes they're just bigger than what we can do. But be realistic about that. Um, we had lived in the house we're in now for a handful of years and it sort of made friends with the neighbor across the street not real close, he and his wife uh, lived there, Alan, and uh, Kathy and uh, Kathy got sick and we sort of kept tabs but we weren't close friends and I will never forget this Several years ago, we were standing in our house. All of my family was gathered there, cars all up and down the street, because we were having my birthday party, and why shouldn't everybody be there? I mean, come on. <laughs> and I looked across the street, and Al's driveway was full, and cars up and down the street, and somehow I knew in that moment it wasn't because they were having a birthday party. It's because Kathy's cancer had overcome her, and she had died. And so the next day, I went over and knocked on the door. Al came to the door and said, Al, what's going on? He said, well, Kathy passed away yesterday. I said, I thought so. And that began a friendship that was real. Real enough that uh, a time when, when Al needed someone to take him to the emergency room, he called me from the porch across the street, you know. Another time on the phone when Al was struggling uh, with his resurgence in alcohol. He asked me to go to the emergency room with him and talk to the doctor. And I offered to... I said, look, I don't need to be in your personal business. He said, no, it's okay. I'd like for you to be with me. He came and helped us move a tree in our yard that was precious to us. We planted it when Stephen was born at a different house we owned. When we moved, we uprooted it and took took it with us. And then we wanted to move it from the front yard to the backyard, and Al came over with his bobcat and helped us make that move and all kinds of other stuff. Just selflessly did that. But that, that came together and found out that Al was a believer whose life had just been rocked, shredded by the things that life does. But meeting that need when it presented itself. So accept people as they are, reach people where they are, meet needs as you find them, and finally, the S in arms, share the gospel at every opportunity. Now that doesn't mean share the gospel every time your mouth is open. It Gets a little fuzzy in here. It means when God opens a genuine opportunity... Don't be afraid to speak about Jesus and who he is and what he's done in your life and what he could do in someone else's life. And don't make magical promises, just be real. The bottom line for me is I have been able to live a life in in friendship with Jesus Christ that has allowed me to not be a lonely man sometimes when I've thought I should be lonely and who's been able to strive to be a good man even though sometimes I've really messed it up. that he's given me a life of purpose that has been incredibly satisfying to me even when my worldly treasures maybe aren't so satisfying. That's all. Share who Jesus is and what he's done for you. And then I'll close with this. Jeff shared, uh, he's been a a chaplain with major league baseball teams, uh, a couple of different teams, he's really had some fantastic experiences there, and he said that the most important thing he learned in evangelism in the last 15 years happened at a sports panel round table with a bunch of other chaplains from professional sports, and they were all talking about how can they they be more effective, because as you might imagine, you know, uh, professional hockey players, football players, baseball players, basketball, these guys aren't necessarily sometimes the most approachable people. On spiritual matters. And he said, one guy there said, he said, the most effective thing I've learned to do is to just keep my antenna up, pay attention to what's happening around me. And then he shared this How do you know when to share the gospel? People die, step in with the gospel. Relationships struggle, step in with the gospel. Health fails, step in with the gospel. Things break, life breaks, people break. Step in with the gospel, and it begins like this. Listen to me now. Here's the beginning of a gospel conversation almost every single time. How can I help you? Can I pray for you? And thinking about that young man who didn't know way in a Manger or Silent Night, Holy Night or any other religious songs that we sang at the time, this struck me, Jeff George said this and it just landed on me, it was profound to me. How can I help you? Can I pray for you? Most people in your world have never heard their name called out in prayer. We take it for granted, you know. I said, Brother Mike, can I pray for you? I'm pretty sure I've done that since you've been here at least once. But think about the people in your world around you. Have they ever had the experience of someone praying for them by name? And Jeff says this really came uh, to light to him, to truth to him, when he was working with a uh, baseball player who uh, had his relationship, his marriage was falling apart. And uh, they'd kind of, it was so bad, it was affecting a lot of other things in the club, in the baseball club, right? Uh, And it's somebody that you would know. If If he said his name, you would know him, especially if you're a baseball fan. And this guy was just opposed to hearing any spiritual counsel. In fact, he didn't seek Jeff out for any help. The the baseball club threw all these back channels because there's not supposed to be any uh, interaction between the chaplain and the players unless the player asks for it. But somebody said, This guy is in trouble. Would you talk to him? And so Jeff made the first, uh, first contact, and the guy was mad. You know, where'd you get this number? Why are you calling me? Leave me alone. And then they'd see each other in the clubhouse and the guy would just kind of grunt at Jeff, mm, you know. And then one day they were, they, were, they were walking by and he said the guy was clearly in distress. And Jeff stopped and, and said his name. He said, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? He said, I don't want to hear any of that religious junk. He said, I don't, I don't want you to hear any either. Can I just pray for you? He said instantly his, his demeanor changed. And he said, what do you mean? He said, I just, I I talk to God. That's one of the ways I speak to God. And I just want to talk to him about you for just a moment. I just want to pray for you. And he said, well, I I guess that'd be all right. And so Jeff put a hand on his shoulder and he he just prayed for him. Very quickly, very briefly, just prayed for him. Prayed for him by name. said, you know, if you need anything, you let me know. Well, a short time later, phone calls began to come Jeff's direction. And that blossomed into a full-out opportunity to share the gospel and to lead him to Jesus Christ, faith in Christ. And then the man told him, he said, you know, what really made the difference is I've never heard someone pray for me before. Nobody's ever prayed for me before. I've never heard that. God's motivation for reaching the world is love. So how do you take intentional actions that show love? Accept people as they are. Reach people where they are. Meet needs as you find them and then share the gospel at every opportunity. And I would say, suggest, encourage, uh, ask you to begin every opportunity that you find to share the gospel starts with, how can I help you? Can I pray for you? And then see what God does from there. Would you stand with me for closing prayer? Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause the light of his face to shine upon you. May he turn his countenance towards you and give you peace. Lord, give us those opportunities. Uh, Give us uh, wisdom, spiritual eyes to see and ears to hear. When you do, give us an opportunity to share the gospel. Lord, you gave us one right here in this kitchen the other day. Lord, that we'll see them and try to be faithful to them. Lord, that you'll lead us in that. Lord, we do love you. Thank you for loving us enough to want to reach into our worlds to rescue us.